0: What is going on, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Shevsky, and we are going to get right into it because I have a lot to say uh, about our topic about low back pain, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up again is that after my first episode on it, most recently, a couple of weeks back, I got a lot of questions online of like, okay, well, I understand a little bit more about this whole concept of, you know, injuring my back with repeated flexion or, you know, putting myself in non-optimal positions and etc. But now the question becomes, okay, so what exercises should I do or avoid in the gym to continue training? And that's kind of the biggest thing that I see a lot um, with people trying to work around an injury, they don't really know, um, you know, what to do in the sense of exercise selection. And they kind of fall into this, um, almost purgatory of like, Oh, I don't know if I should do this or, Oh, this feels okay. But I, I I just don't know if this is good enough. And then they kind of go down the rabbit hole of like YouTubing or Googling like, you know, three exercises for, low back pain or whatever. And the funny thing too is um, when it comes down to the traditional kind of rehab exercises, um, sometimes they are not in the person's best interest because it might not be the right thing for them. So a lot of times when people ask me like, Oh, what should I avoid? Well, You know, it kind of depends on where you're coming from. Like, I need a lot more information, but for the sake of this episode, maybe I'll just kind of jump into a generalization um, and I'll kind of explain why it's kind of hard to give just a direct answer. So, let's play a scenario out where, you know, you're an individual that has come to me dealing with low back pain off and on for the last couple of years, and they want to know what should I do. Number one, I would have to do a thorough assessment to figure out what they can and can't do. Second, getting all of their medical history because sometimes there's other things that could affect that low back. So what we know is most people who have low back pain have other joints that don't function the way they should, they've had a past injury, they've had a history of low back pain, and they have a really weak-ass core. So those four things we need to work on. So seeing the scenario, this person comes to me and I find out that they don't have a lot of hip mobility. And usually people with low back pain don't have a lot of hip mobility, so then the low back becomes a has to be a mobile joint to do all the lower body exercises you're doing. Right. So it's kind of interesting is like when people ask, you know, what exercises should I not be doing low back pain? And generally they think, you know, lower body exercises would be okay because that's their lower body not their low back. They would kind of stay away from, you know, back extensions, deadlifts, um, you know, anything involving, like, a really advanced core exercise, but what most people don't know is that a lot of lower body exercises require a lot of hip mobility, and when you don't have it, you're going to get it from somewhere else, and it's usually your lower back. So, say this individual has limited hip mobility, what I would then do is, okay, well, One, let's look at your program. And a lot of times people will have squats, for example. And usually, when people lack hip mobility, they usually lack hip internal rotation. And a squat requires a lot of it. And when we look at the person's squat mechanics, a lot of times um, they kind of get to a certain descent and... Either they kind of tip their body forward, almost like a good morning, and then they come out of it. Or they just do quarter squats the whole time. And usually this individual also, when they squat, will be doing back squats. And I have spoken on this topic so many times that I think many of you will know that if you are dealing with low back pain or you've had a history of low back pain, and right now you're not in a flare-up or anything the back squat should be the last thing you should be doing. And once people kind of understand and kind of get over this, you know, I'm married to one exercise and I have to do it, things in life become so much easier. And if you truly want to see progress in the gym and in your body, then it becomes a whole nother conversation because a lot of times people Just think that, oh, in order to get strong or see my results, I have to do this exercise. And that's far from the truth. You know, like, sometimes your anatomy is not built for a specific exercise. So you have to just move on. Like, that's it. And sometimes it's like risk over reward. The average person... Is probably married, has some kids, has responsibilities, has a job that may be active or not active, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you don't want to be lugging around a low back injury when you still have to go home, do chores, pick up your kids, play with them, and all that kind of stuff. So, really, like, w- what's the purpose behind back squatting or using any other like exercise out there that's not providing any purpose in your life? So this is kind of like bigger picture stuff. But for some reason, people are like, oh, I have to do the back squat. I have to do the bench press. I have to do the deadlift when there's like so many other things out there that you could do to develop your legs and not, you know, have a flare up on your low back. But um, with the back squat specifically, when you look at, you know, all the prerequisites that are needed, like one, you need a lot of thoracic extension, and mobility. You need enough shoulder mobility to actually hold the bar. You need enough hip mobility to actually get lower. You need enough tibial rotation in your knees in order for the hips to go down and for you to descend deep enough. And you need adequate ankle dorsiflexion. And on top of that, you need to have a core that's functioning to actually get out of the squat itself. And... (laughs) I would say 99% of the people watching and listening probably don't have all those things. So you're coming in a exercise at probably like 30% and you're probably going to get only 30% out of the exercise because you and I both know if I asked you this question, like in the past five years, has your back squat numbers actually gone up drastically? The answer is probably no. Like, That's your metric. Are you actually getting the benefit of the exercise? Are you getting stronger with the back squat? You're not. So maybe there's other things out there that could give you the benefit of what your goals are than just sticking to one particular exercise over and over and over again, and you're not getting anywhere. Like, it's a dead end. Whereas say we give you a barbell split squat might be a little bit better on the back but when you think about low back pain um, other exercises to kind of avoid that require a lot of hip mobility back squats is the number one deadlifts is the other one i can't you know count how many times i've had someone come in dealing with low back pain and we go over their programming and you know the deadlift I I fucking love deadlifts like that's that's my jam but I'm not gonna you know force a square peg through a round hole nonstop, (laughs) right so a lot of times when this person you know comes in and we go through their programming and you know they have barbell deadlifts and I'm like okay well are you deadlifting off the floor they're like yes do you ever get low back pain after deadlifting All the time. So then we need to change something. And usually what I get people to do is elevate their deadlift. Why? Because if you are lacking hip mobility, one, you also probably have, you know, tight hamstrings. And that is just a mechanism that your nervous system has developed to protect you. And that also means that you probably don't have full control going into your descent of your deadlift to lift it up and put it back down. So why not work within a range of motion that you actually do control? So another thing too is when I do this assessment, we also do a specific deadlift assessment. And I can figure out the moment your lumbar spine goes into flexion, And to your naked eye, like, if you were watching someone on the side of them deadlifting, you probably would not see lumbar going into flexion. And, you know, with that last episode, we're already living and breathing in flexion all the time. So why would you want to go into an exercise that places you into more flexion under load? That's just literally putting gasoline on a fire. And... The moment, um, so how this like assessment works is I put my four fingers, just like this, onto a person's lumbar spine, I give them a dowel, and I'm like, okay, well, imagine that this is your barbell. I want you to slowly lower it down into your descent, and I'll tell you when to stop. And, you know, I'm holding, and as they're going into their hip hinge, the moment my fingers start separating, that's the moment where... Your vertebrae that are stacked on top of each other are now going into flexion. And the moment I say stop, that dowel, your fake barbell, is a lot higher than what you normally pull from from the floor. And it's usually around knee height. So now you're almost going to be doing rack pulls. But what I try to educate people on is that what, like one, the question is like, okay, why are you deadlifting? The moment they answer me, they go, well, it's a great exercise to develop my glutes and hamstrings and get strong. I'm like, okay, I'm hearing that you want to develop your muscles and get strong. Is that true? They're like, yes. I'm like, okay, what if I told you that we could adapt your deadlift where you can develop your glutes and hamstrings and get strong without getting a flare-up with your low back? All of them were like, yeah, that's great. So then, now that we have that height, it's like, okay, well... The you know forty five pound plates or whatever that you're using is this in diameter. And if we stopped the imaginary barbell around your knees, like it's probably eight inches off the floor. So now we either do a rock pull or we put a couple other forty five pound plates or blocks on each side, and now we're pulling from that position. My argument is your nervous system probably doesn't understand the difference of you pulling that weight off the floor compared to eight inches off you know blocks. All it really understands is force and load. So if we go off of that theory, that logic, you're still going to get the benefit of the deadlift that is elevated. Unless you told me that I'm competing in a powerlifting competition and I have to deadlift off the floor, then we have a whole nother scenario. But for most people that don't want to get rid of their married exercise, That's a good compromise because now you're going to have less flare-ups, more progress in the gym, and then we can probably work on that hip mobility stuff that is going to allow you to get to the floor. I do this with all my clients, and I tell them, like, you know, this is a good starting point. My goal for you is to actually get you deadlifting off the floor. But I want to clear up all the stuff that we need to work on first, but at the same time still get you strong. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's awesome. And that's like individualized programming. This is where so many people get it wrong. They just go find something on the internet and just apply it blindly. Like... There's nothing in this life where that works. Like, if you wanted to learn a topic, you're not just going to, you know, Google it and sure, there's probably some credible things on it, but you're not going to learn the inside and outs for you specifically. Like, if you wanted to learn how to invest your money and you just went onto a random blog and they were writing about investing for a certain type of person and you're like, you know, yeah, that's for me. I'm just going to do that it's probably not going to work out the way that you think it is. Whereas for some reason, the fitness industry, everyone's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing because I went on Instagram and saw two people talk about doing this program and I'm going to like lose 10 pounds and gain 20 pounds of muscle mass, like enough. Um, So that's one thing that I would focus on um, slash eliminating. But for the most part, like I would want someone to do a single leg deadlift instead of their traditional barbell deadlift. And the reason why this particular exercise would do so well for someone with low back pain is that it teaches them how to stabilize it. So if someone's already um, efficient at doing the hip hinge because... You know, we're dealing with this individual that's already deadlifting. They kind of understand the motion of a hip hinge, so I'm going to give them a single leg deadlift. The reason behind that is that, one, in the single leg deadlift, you are working foot stability, ankle stability, knee stability, hip stability, low back stability, and shoulder stability on the contralateral side. And I always do a contralateral load on a single leg deadlift because it's a little bit more, you know, air quotes, functional um, when it comes to the human body because if you think about any time we take a step, it's opposite arm, opposite leg at all times. When we run and climb and all that stuff, it's the same thing. Now, something that I would also um, caution people with low back pain is um, step-ups. I see it too many times. Most people will do a step-up onto a bench and like for the most part, like, yeah, like I'm going to do step ups. So something that's like parallel to my leg, I'm going to go do step ups. But think about it this way. A standard bench is, you know, 18 inches off the ground. I'm five foot nine and it's almost like maybe a little too high. Like maybe if it was like 17 inches, it would be perfect. But imagine yourself or me as a trainer and I have clients of all heights and I only have a bench to do step-ups, there's gonna be some disadvantages there. So the big thing that I see in step-ups, um, if it's too high or if the load is too heavy, because like think about like, you know, here's your box and you have the person, you know, stepping up on, t- I don't know why the bench went up, when you step up onto it. A lot of times if this was like your foot and then this is the bot your body coming up, a lot of times is as it gets too heavy, or if it's too high, they kind of step up and they lean over to the leg that's working and then they kind of come back here and then the same thing going back down. It's because they're doing this weight shift into say, in this case, their right leg. To do a weight shift into their right and then they come back up and then back down. They come up and back down, up and back down. So now you have this huge weight shift of weight going into your hip, and that tends to piss off that SI joint and low back and just everything in that kind of area. So a lot of times when I train clients with um you know step ups, I go off of a lower box like 16, like 14 to 16 inches tend to be a really good spot for a lot of people. And if I had someone that's even um, a little bit less experienced, like there's nothing wrong with doing loaded step ups off of six inches. Like that still can get really hard. That's gonna really drive that quad to build. And also single leg stability. Like there's a moment where you come off of the other, off the ground as you step up, and there's that moment of you transitioning your other free foot onto the top of the box, and you're literally holding, say, 25 pounds on each side. That's 50 pounds plus your body weight, stabilizing on one leg. That like that's awesome for low back stability. Now, another thing I want to bring up because I know I'm going to be running out of time here um, is crunches. And I can talk about this forever. <laughs> um, we kind of already brought up the whole fact of loaded flexion <laughs> in the deadlift is probably not the best idea when most likely flexion is the thing that caused low back pain. So adding more flexion to the fire that you already have is probably not gonna help. And a lot of times, too, when people are trying to do crunches or any kind of ab exercise that requires this motion, is probably gonna do a lot more harm than good. Now there's a caveat to that. Once your low back injury is out of that acute state, and you taught it how to stabilize, you taught it how to you know move somewhat freely you then now have to reteach each segment how to move. Because think about it. Say you roll your ankle. Your entire body is sending all these signals to that injured ankle to prevent movement, to keep it safe. Now it's your job to reintroduce motion to that ankle. Because if you just let it heal at its own devices, it's going to be constantly unstable and weak as shit, and it's most likely going to roll again. And like even to, for yourself listening or watching, think about it. If you're a type of person that rolls their ankle a lot, you probably need to strengthen that ankle in order for it to not roll again. Just like low back pain people, once you injure your back once, 100% you're going to injure it again. And it becomes the cycle over and over again because a lot of people miss this one crucial step is learning how to add flexion and extension through those segments because your body did everything in its power to shut down lumbar spine to keep it together like this to help you, you know, live day to day. A lot of times when people reach down to go grab something, they're like, oh, my back. But common sense And training principles says that you should probably train your spine into those motions. Now, it's really hard for someone to do this on their own without any kind of guidance. Because if I have a lumbar spine that hasn't moved properly in so long, the chances of you actively getting it to move... Is probably slim to none. You're probably going to move in other segments that are already hypermobile because they've had to adapt. So the moment you get out of that flare-up state, you've you know seen physio, chiro, RMT. They're giving you some of these exercises, and now you're back into the gym. You also have to reteach your body how to move segment by segment. Now, the other thing that I want to bring up is like traditional. Low back rehab exercises. Cat-cow, sure, totally, go do it. But you're most likely not going to move through the segments that have been shut down and have been injured. You're going to move through the segments that are hypermobile and that you're used to moving through. Bird dog, sure, probably the number one most used and prescribed rehab exercise for your low back it's great in the very beginning to teach the body how to stabilize. But after a while, like it's not going to give you anything. Like if you ask the basic um, rehab, low back rehab patient, what their exercises are, you know, bird dogs, three sets of 10, and they've been doing it for like the last 10 years. When does it actually get better? You know what I mean? Like, every exercise has a time and place, but you have to adapt. And people are not adapting, they're just following blindly with recommendations they see online or their physio or their chiro and they get to a certain point of success and then it goes back to, I I flared up my low back again. We need to get past that. So I think the missing piece here for a lot of people is learning how to add movement through flexion, extension, lateral flexion in their lumbar spine safely and effectively. But it's very, very, very hard to do that by yourself without any kind of coaching. And this is like where my bread and butter comes in. And I've worked with so many people with herniated discs, bulging discs, people waiting for surgery, people with fused vertebrae, like everything. And the biggest thing that people miss is that rehab portion of learning how to move through those segments and then adding resistance to it so that the next time you go bend down to pick up laundry, your back doesn't give out and you fall over to the floor and you can't breathe. That was a lot. That was a lot. It was a big rant. I'm sorry. Um, Other things to think about as well um, is thoracic mobility. Almost nine out of ten times when I have a person in front of me with a little back pain and I test their thoracic rotation, extension, and flexion, it is solid like fucking granite. And they wonder why their low back hurts. So this individual that we've made up, that is an individual that I see all the time, is they have hips that don't move, so then their lumbar spine has to do all the mobility stuff for the hips, which is not designed to do that. And then that same person has a thoracic spine up here that also doesn't move. So now it's two joints asking the lumbar spine to do all the work, And then you wonder why shit hurts. So a lot of times it's kind of indirect, like kind of when I was talking about the the knee last week. If we work this stuff here and the hips, low back just starts feeling great. So then when I work alongside people and we kind of put together a plan, I hit those two things right off the bat and things start already feeling better. When it comes to what exercise you should not do, most likely any kind of overhead stuff is going to be number one to eliminate. Because in order to do something like this, this has to move freely. But people do this anyway. So now you have overhead presses, pull-ups, chin-ups, lap pull-downs, things like that, that are probably going to trigger that low back. Whereas if you did more horizontal pressing and horizontal pulling for a while, it's going to give the ability to your low back to actually settle down faster. And on top of that, if we focused on a lot of mobility work for both hips and thoracic spine, it gives you another opportunity. It's kind of like a a piggy bank, right? Like the more money you put in, to the piggy bank, the more money you end up saving throughout the year. So imagine that every time you adjust your programming for your um, low back to feel better, you're adding money to your piggy bank. Every time you focus on a hip mobility exercise, a thoracic mobility exercise, you're adding more money into that piggy bank. And then over time, you're gonna have all this money saved up and you're gonna be happy. In this case, your low back's gonna be happy. But too many times people are doing things where they're constantly withdrawing money out of that piggy bank and now they're in the negative. And then they're like, why does my back hurt all the time? It's because you haven't done the stuff to save the money to feel good. (laughs) Right. And it's like, it's very, very simple. It's like eliminate the pain factors. That's why in my first episode, we're talking about mechanisms, like the pain, the pain mechanism. Once you identify that, you start eliminating the stuff that actually feeds into that. And it's just like, oh, I start feeling better. Like, it's not rocket science. Um, I think I'm going to end it there because I can ramble about this so much. But um, I've been getting a lot of good questions on Instagram and YouTube about injury. So if you guys have any more questions, like 100%, feel free to reach out and let me know. More than happy to help. Um, education is literally the best thing for you when it comes to injury and the more i can give that out to you guys the happier i am because i want everyone to be successful in fitness and health and injury is literally the number one thing that's preventing a lot of people to see that so um, i'm gonna end it there add me on facebook instagram tiktok and subscribe to my youtube channel we've surpassed 600 finally it's like freaking amazing i'm so excited so You know, 400 to go until I hit a thousand, which is going to be freaking nuts. So, um, can't wait for that. Um, Thank you guys. You guys are amazing. Till next time.